Welcome to Between the Lines, an Oaks Church Brooklyn podcast where we go behind the scenes of our current series, The Story of God, alongside our pastors and a few friends. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, church. Uh, This is your pastor, Patrick Boatwright. And Ryan Diaz. Uh, And we're here with another uh, Between the Lines. Uh, This week, we are coming off of really the first week of the narrative in our series where we introduced our main character, if you will. On the scene. That's right. The story of God. uh, Camera pans down. And we have uh, Elohim and the Tohu Vavohu, just a a wild and chaotic world. But, uh, Ryan, I... I wanted to get started by circling back to a couple of questions that came in sure. after Sunday uh, that I think would be good for us to speak on. That'd be great. So the first one was uh, a question about my delineation between good and perfect. And, Got you it. know, I don't know about you, but I also grew up with kind of like this conception of yeah the Garden of Eden and it being utopia, perfection. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I know why I chose those words, but uh, yeah, I wonder what your thoughts, because I know we work on this stuff together, but. Yeah, I think, so good and perfection are, are, are orders of, orders of being or states of being, right? So I think when we read the biblical narrative, it is, I think what a lot of people do is they, they kind of take their conceptions of heaven and then apply that to the garden. And then we have to then talk about what are those conceptions of heaven and are they biblical? But this kind of this perfect idyllic world, um, which Adam and Eve are thrust into um, with God in his presence. But the text says nothing of the sort. And the Hebrews have words for this idea of perfection or completeness, right? To me. Yeah. And so those words aren't used. It's it's we talk about goodness that the the creation is good and so there's this implication I think in the text because then also too when we next week and this Sunday we get to chapter two God notices things about the creation that are not complete mm-hmm. and so that logic and also He asks humanity to to do something with His creation to to rule and subdue it so if there's nothing to do then that's kind of a false task yeah. No, don't step on. You, you gotta turn yeah, yeah, your teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep the pocket. Just calm it down. <laughs> uh, but no, you're right because there's the there's the tamim, which is the Hebrew word for for perfect or whole or complete, and it's not actually the word that is attributed to God or God speaks when He examines or when Elohim yeah. examines the created world. But the word that uses tov, yeah. which is good, but but has this intent of it is achieving the purposes for which it has been created, yeah. right? And so for me, that's the delineation that I'm making is that I think that the narrative of the scripture, what it's setting up is that what Elohim is remarking upon is that things are working in proper yeah. relationship. Everything's in harmony. Yes. And this is what's, and this is good but to your point. Yeah, there's, there's more to come because if it was complete, then that's kind of the end of the story. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's. I think a great like analogy would be um, when you think of like a marriage, right? The the moment of 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 that ceremony where you make those vows is not the summit of of marriage. Yeah, it's this thing that's good. Yeah, the implication is the rest of your life work will be done on this. It could yeah. be actually be better. 
You know, it's interesting. Kind of last thought on this uh, for me is I wonder what it, that kind of speaks to kind of our cultural. Mm. Obs- I don't want to say obsession. That seems a little uh, generous, but yeah, our proclivity desire for perfection. Yeah. You know, like uh, ultimate supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the roots of that is found even within even the American context of like, you know, the manifest destiny yeah. or like where the this is the the, the height of humanity, right, kinda, right. if you will. And how that seeps down into like, oh, yeah, we. What Elohim wants, what God wants is perfection. Mm-hmm. And what does then that mean for me? Who the, the only thing that is tr- perfectly true about me is that I am imperfect. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's I think that's something worth like mm. wrestling with just right away in mm-hmm. the story. Uh, what does that say about God who calls things good and and not perfect? What does it say about me um, and my kind of like desire for for perfect? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So good. Now. Uh, Going back, we're we're starting the story. Uh, we we labeled this the this series the story of God, not the story of man, uh, <laughs> because as we see it, the scriptures and everything is pointing to God. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, not not humanity. Yeah, though humanity obviously has a you know best supporting yeah best supporting uh, actor, actor not yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, shout out Ryan Gosling, uh, you know, and... Uh, Keep the Kennedy. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but also, you know, shame, shame. Uh, Margo, <laughs> we love you. Um, but let's talk about Elohim. Yeah. So, and I use that title. There's a lot of things we, we use to refer to this God, and I think we will use different yeah. n- names as the story moves, and stuff yeah. as the story moves. But what's used in in the Hebrew in mm-hmm. Genesis one is this word Elohim, and I spoke right. to it a little bit. But you know, there were some questions around, uh, you know, particularly one that said like, "Hey, what do you mean when I reference Elohim being, you know, a title and referring to other heavenly beings?" There was a real question about, "Well, are there other gods?" And uh, I know you've done some scholarship around that, and yeah. so yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about Elohim and and the 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 name of God. Yeah, I think a, a great place to like begin this conversation is with in Genesis one, where 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 God says, "Let us make man or humanity in our image." Yeah, who's the us? And that's the question you ask right away. Yeah, I think as Christians, what we then do is we take our we can, we know we can we can kind of look backwards and say, okay, well we know of the, the triunity of God, so we can read that into the text. Mm-hmm. But in ancient Israel. It, doesn't have a conception for the Trinity, no. at least in the way we've developed it. And so I think we begin there, like, who is the us? Mm-hmm. And then also, too, when we think about Elohim being this general title, that gets applied to other beings in Scripture. Yeah. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that just like a fiction or is it just uh, um, a literary device? Or do the ancient Israelites actually believe that other beings exist? Other heavenly beings exist somewhere out there. Yeah, and I think the answer to that would be yes. And this is where it gets really interesting because yeah. then we have, you know, really what this comes down to is what is monotheism, right? Right. And I think for a lot of like Western-born like Protestants, 
the understanding of of monotheism is that there is only one God. There right. is no other, you know, thing that exists that I cannot see other right. than God. And yet that's not actually what the Bible presents right. or what uh the Hebrew people would would have affirmed. Yeah. And I think even if we, you know, when we go get into this part of the story of like the conquest narratives and things like that, why is it such an affront to worship other gods if they're if there's no real damage, right? Yeah. If it's just a clever fiction. Yeah. If they're just like, yeah, I don't need to take a war on like Santa Claus. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> So the, the, I think that's an important question. Or when the when the in the Psalms when we praise God as highest above the gods, well, there's no other gods. That's that's kind of cheap praise, right? So yeah. I think we just have to wrestle. There's a conception within the in the Hebrew mind that the heavenly realm is a populated realm, but one God stands above. One God is actually the creator even of them all. Yes, and stands above all and is unrivaled and unmatched. Well, and there's so much because this is we're getting into stuff that I don't think at least in the context that I was raised in and I've been in a lot of Christian context, sure. there's not much talk around this kind of concept of there being other spiritual beings. Like obviously when we think about it, there's like angels, you know, sure. um, but you know, there's like the work of Michael Heiser. He talks yeah, about yeah. like the divine council. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole mm-hmm. other podcast. We'll, we'll have to get to, um, yeah. But I, I point like you, you go New Testament, you go Ephesians yeah. six and 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 where Paul says, like, hey, we don't we don't war against flesh and blood, yeah. but of powers and principalities. Right. Right. And there and there and throughout even the old testament there is this concept of that there exist other beings uh that are not seen, um, that are belong to this metaphysical realm, right, that are pursuing the hearts and minds of men and for whom uh, man can give their allegiance to. Yeah. Right. So like when, 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 you know, when we get the 10 commandments, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert. um, And, and Yahweh at that point will say, you will have no other gods gods before me. Yeah. Right. If there aren't, if there aren't any conception, if there are, if Yahweh is the only God in the game, then this is a useless, (laughs) Yeah, because even when we get into, you know, the, the, the New Testament and, you know, Jesus has that famous line, you cannot serve God and mammon. Yes. Is implicated. It's not, we're not just talking about being a slave to the almighty dollar. No. But there's this thing, there's this thing that in the metaphysical realm, power. that power, <laughs> principality yeah. that one gives allegiance over to. Yes. That's why a lot of when we look through the story of the Old Testament, a lot of what the conversation is about is loyalty. Yeah. Will I be loyal to my God, the God of creation, the God Yahweh, or will I give my loyalty to these other gods? Yeah. No, it's true. And I think, I think though, I don't, I think when you really consider it, at least for me, when I think sure. about life and the human experience, in a way, this rings true even beyond like what, we could make a case for in scripture. Right. Uh, I think about, you know, um, David Foster Wallace and when he gives the uh, commencement speech and everything is water. And he talks about the fact that everybody worships something. Yeah. And he talks about what happens when you worship these other gods. Like he says, you know, like if you, if you worship beauty, if, if that's what 
gives you you give your allegiance to, you will die a thousand deaths, you know, before they finally put you in the ground. Because with every wrinkle, right, like you will no you will no longer right. be called good by that god, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, if you worship money, uh, every dollar that isn't in your bank account will condemn you before that god. Right. Uh, and so what we're talking about then is if we all worship some power and some principality and that these aren't benign powers, right. but active agents of, of chaos in the world, um, then the question becomes, which one will I worship and what are the differences? And this is where Elohim and throughout the Old Testament becomes like El Elohim, like El Elyon. Yeah. There's, there's the God above all these other gods. Right. This is the one true God. Uh, this is the one I want to worship because he doesn't demand, this guy doesn't demand per- perfection from me, but only that I be in relationship, right. right relationship. So like, all right, I can give that a try. But now something happened there that, that I kind of want to kind of move us forward into. So we're talking about Elohim, mm-hmm. God. We are talking about a very specific being. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's two points of that I want us to explore. One being the, the actual being of God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then um, gender. Let's get to, we'll, we'll get to gender here in a second. But yeah. yeah, let's talk about a little bit about the nature of God and this being. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, this is where we're kind of moving into like theology proper. We're like, so what is God? Yes. And I think what's helpful here is I think St. Thomas Aquinas talks about God as an order of being unto himself. And what makes him God is St. Thomas Aquinas says that God is ipsum esse. He's being itself. So God, unlike all of us, we all have a delegated like being, right? We, we get given our being. We, we don't, we don't, we are not self-generative. We rely on other people. God is, is himself his own being. He doesn't receive his essence or who he is from other things. He is of himself the capital I of the universe. Yeah. And so I think that's when we talk at least philosophically, that's what separates God. He's another order of, of, of creation of being. Mm. I think another way probably to think about it is even, you know, we're using the, the structure of story to explore God. And there's this idea of God being the first and ultimate story. Yeah. Whereas, like, you and I, like, I am the story of Patrick Boatwright, but that is the continuation of the story of Harold and Beatrice Boatwright. Right. And, you know, they're, they're people and they're, you know, I'm, right, I'm right. amalgamation. And what we're saying is that, like, the being of God, which is kind of, frankly, it's kind of a, above the brain's mental pay grade. Sure, you know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To try to— Many have tried. <laughs> yeah, to try to conceptualize a being without end and a, and a being without beginning, a story— yeah. That has no influences. Yeah, uh, is is near impossible. Yeah, I think this is something a helpful image from Aristotle, where he talks about his unmoved mover. Yes, that whatever sets the universe into motion has to be by necessity unmoved. Exactly. And so, when you think, put then the concept of story, a story moves from beginning to end. You know, you have conflict, resolution, conflict, resolution. Well, the only unmoved mover in the story is the author. Yes. He's the only one who can set these events into motion. He's all, all or he or she is the only one who can bring them into conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, you, you just said, like, he or she, and that, that's where I want to take us. Our, our, sure. um, so there was a choice that I made in this teaching 
uh, I, I might have slipped out of just kind of force of habit um, a couple of times, but I intentionally chose to remove gender sure. when trying to reference Elohim. And, um, and for me, that was because uh, as we're talking about the nature and the understanding and the being of God, um, I did not want to, from the onset, map maleness right onto this being that we're trying to relate to uh and there's two reasons for that um the first reason has to do with uh you know when you meet the central character say you're watching a movie or you're reading a book when when that central character is introduced the author typically describes all the necessary and essential mm-hmm. attributes of that person or that being, yeah. right? And, and they're kind of showing you like, hey, here, and, and this, this is going to frame our understanding of this character and their journey, right? Yeah, and so yeah. now we'll, we'll reflect back like, oh, they, they're clumsy, you know, when we mm-hmm. meet them and this is going to reflect them trying to overcome all the things they trip over in their story. Um, and so... For me, it was like, I, I want to, what we know of God is that all things flow from Elohim, mm-hmm. right? And if all things flow from Elohim, then like to our, what we were just talking about, Elohim is a story unto itself. It is a being unto itself. And so I, I wanted to try to, as best I could, keep us from, from placing right. on that, that God, that being, all the things that come around the use of of gender, right. you know, g- gender, they carry stories, they carry context, they carry, uh, opinions. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to like, Hey, kind of show that, like, Hey, we're starting from this almost tabula rasa, this blank yeah. slate of, of God, but also this, this, this slate that contains all colors. Yeah. Uh, but then the second part of that was, uh, was a decision to not equivocate maleness with, the apex of yeah. of all things, right? Uh, which, when we use uh, gender like masculine pronouns to speak about God, which is accurate, like that's not a that's not an yeah. inappropriate thing. Like the yeah. scriptures do that. Like like mm-hmm. the scriptures use masculine pronouns to refer to to God, and and it speaks of God as a father. Yeah. Um, so it's not an, an a kind of trying to undermine or undo that. But what can happen is we have to realize, for me, that uh, God, speaking of God the Father in a way, that that maleness is a necessary attribute of God, but not an essential attribute of God in the way that not being, not possessing evil is is an essential attribute. Yeah. To God. So I've got more on that, but I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think you're making like an interesting, um, I think, division there. It's that what maleness, so God being father, you know, these kind of using masculine pronouns and this imagery for God in the Old Testament is exactly that imagery. It is describing something about God that, that this is the words we have for in human language. And so whenever we speak of God, there's, there's a ne- and whenever God reveals himself to humanity, it's, there's a necessary condescension. 
your point earlier said, you know, this might be above our brains, pray, pray grade. Well, if that's true, if God is utterly transcendent, then any self-revelation must condescend to what humanity's got. I think that's often when we come to the Bible is what we forget is God is revealing to himself, revealing himself as to, to people who he is as they can understand him. And what is a universal thing is the conception of fathers. Um, and so there's, there's something God gives to this society that he's revealing himself to him that they can understand. To your point, we can't then go reverse that and say that this is now an essential piece of who God is. It is describing something. I know we're going to probably talk more about gender next week as we are, you know, we actually have the, yeah. the supporting character of yeah. mankind and, and uh, man and woman. So uh, I don't want to step on that conversation too much, but sure. I, I do want to kind of add this nuance or, or to this conversation about the gender of God in the sense that, so when I talk about the necessity versus the essentialness of, of God's maleness, I would put forth that why it is necessary that God is pre- presents as predominantly as male, as father, as these masculine terms mm-hmm. is because when you move throughout the story of Scripture, there is a there is a commentary, a meta commentary being made about what it means mm. to to be male to have yeah. power like like yeah. you know you know science tells us that the 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 male body versus the 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 female body and and like just sheer muscle mass and 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 strength and power sure. that's enabled I, I don't know if i want to say necessarily strength because i've never tried to give birth uh and cannot <laughs> um but uh i hear it's pretty difficult yeah uh so i don't know if we want a, a strength contest but we're talking about pure brute force and the ability to yeah. overpower uh, that exists between uh, the male and female representations, uh, I think there's something that happens when the being that is above all takes on and, 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 and maps on itself maleness across the sure. story. And then what we see in maleness is that that, that God takes maleness and uses it to nurture. Yeah. Uses it not to dominate, but to love. Uses its power to be in silence and to die, mm. you know, through through the 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 the, the maleness mm. of Jesus. Yeah. Right. Like, like, like there's these kind of subversions, I think, of the historical conceptions of maleness and and this kind of like global uh I don't chauvinism maybe sure. you know i think that's a fair way to say it uh like what does it say then when the hebrew like god is is thought of as male and then when you watch the actions that that male takes uh as opposed to the other historical like gods and their narratives yeah. or mankind and its use and mm. exploitation of the power of maleness. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think maybe just to jump ahead for listeners, I think because for some people this conversation it can be disorienting. Yeah. Because I think what we don't what we don't want people to hear is 
um, because we understand Jesus to be the, the God in flesh, the yeah. the God man. But Jesus is a male. Like yeah, Jesus, and I think yeah. when people when they they begin to they, they begin to think of like, but what does that say about Jesus and the Trinity and all these things? I think I think we have to be able to do our theology where we are in the story. Yeah. So I think just just for the people who that was like, a, oh wow, what are we saying? It's like no, like we'll get to why God becomes man. Yeah. In in Jesus of Nazareth, but I just wanted to maybe preempt yeah. that. No, that's I think concern. that's good, and it's not saying like it is not wrong to refer right. to God as He. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, like, and even throughout the scriptures, there's like obviously the again masculine pronouns are used for God, and also God and Jesus Himself. Yeah. Uh, Uses also the feminine, yeah, uh, as metaphor and as description. Like a mother hen, I want to, to gather exactly. them under my wings. You go to Proverbs eight, and what what's present at at uh, creation? Sophia uh, is Sophia. This this female presence. You know, some would argue ruach, the spirit yeah. of God. Right, uh, Numa uh, in the Greek, this kind of feminine attribute. And what we do know is that both the masculine and the feminine emanate. Right from Elohim, yeah, emanate I think from God. That's an important thing th- to think to think about is that when God said, "Let us make humanity in yes. our image," the humanity includes its male and femaleness. Yes, in all things, male. Yeah. Let me, let us yeah. create male and female. Let us create them. Right. Uh, and so there, there's more. There, there's a lot more we could go down, but I think that's uh, good enough for today. Uh, last place I want to hit on our way out is just uh, you know there was a question about. Sources and influences, and I thought it'd be great as we uh, wrap up here to just name like what what for you have been some mm. of the scholars or books or you know uh, things that you're pulling from as yeah. we embark on this journey. Yeah, so I think two old test well three Old Testament scholars that just jump off the bat for me have been really helpful in my understanding of the Old Testament has been um we'd mentioned him before, Dr. Michael Heiser, and he's yeah. just been really influential in like, we have to recapture the supernatural worldview, quote unquote, supernatural worldview of, yes. of the biblical story. Um, and he makes a lot of great commentary on how we've sort of, we sort of de-supernaturalized the story yes. of scripture. Um, and he kind of goes into like, what were ancient Near Eastern audiences thinking when they heard these terms like Elohim, things like that. I think Jonathan Walton, he does actually, if you want to, what we're on in the series, he does this book. He wrote this book called the lost world of Genesis. Um, and he's a fantastic old Testament scholar. And I think Ellen Davis as well. Ellen Davis is a fantastic, um, scholar and she actually wrote a really important book and we'll get to this, you know, throughout the stories, we turn to like the conception of land. She does, she wrote an excellent monograph on, the, the importance of agriculture and keeping the land in, in the Old Testament. And I think if I could throw one more in the mix for fun, um, G.K. Beale, who wrote a massive commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament. Because I think as we're going through the Old Testament, it is interesting to keep in mind, this is the story the New Testament writers will use to retell the story in light of Jesus. And he has these excellent comment just beefy commentary if you're nerdy enough for it um that i've it was really helpful i love that um yeah amen on michael heiser you actually introduced me yeah uh to his work uh, a little bit last year and have thoroughly lapped that up i think for me uh one of the <laughs> premier kind of uh, influences my undergrad was in uh biblical studies and uh dr jack layman was like the most incredible 
man and like scholar I've ever met. And he did this class, Progress of Redemption, um, which I still carry with me. I literally, years after I graduated, reached back out to the school and bought the audio CD of the recordings of those lectures uh, as mm. he just moved through the story. And so um, that has always influenced upon me. Then for me, there's also like the work of um, Dr. Carol Myers, who mm. is a yeah. biblical scholar. She's a feminist archaeologist, which means that she does archaeology to see what uh, they have to tell us about the lives of women across uh, mm-hmm. antiquity. And particularly, she focuses on Iron Age women. And she has an incredible book, Rediscovering Eve, that's about, um, that really broadens our conception of the Israelite woman. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely be referencing her more uh, pretty immediate. Uh, and then there would be um, some other people. I think the work of like Renita Weems, who does uh, some womanist work that's, I find, pretty, you know, invigorating at times, challenging. Uh, but then also uh, Randy Woodley, who's a theologian and an, an indigenous man who has incredible work around um, like eco-theology mm. uh, and indigenous kind of slant and understanding, um, particularly around like early stories and, and the stories of the Bible. And uh, yeah, so those would probably be some of my and Dr. Celine Lilly, who I've had uh, incredible opportunity to study under while well, I'm currently doing my master's, uh, she's a particular New Testament scholar, um, but also does work across all of like a biblical survey. But um, and hopefully she's going to come and do some some stuff and some work with nice. her. So I'm I'm glad to have her here. But uh, yeah, so those are some of the I think some of the people and some of the influences and some of the the water the wells we've been drinking from. Yeah. But, all right. Uh, anything else to add? Anything you want to say on the way out? The story gets weirder from here. Oh, <laughs> yes, it does. Wait till we get like the Nephilim. I don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't even, I don't even know uh, how we're going to handle that, but uh, I'm excited <laughs> to find out. So, uh, friends, thank you for listening. Uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, next week. Same time, same place as uh, the story continues. <laughs>